All right, take two. I think we're live. It says we're live. Take two. Here we are. Awesome. Welcome back to Everything EOS, the longest running EOS podcast. I see it pulled up now. It looks like it might have been up the entire time. But uh, anyway, before we get started, I do need to mention that nothing we say should be construed as anything more than our opinions. Please don't take what we're saying as legal, financial, tax, professional, investment, or any other kind of advice. You don't want to listen to two guys on the internet or you will probably get wrecked. Every time. And uh, Zach, remind the folks what they should do with the video. You, you guys got to smash the like button. Smash it right now because we want to get deep into governance. Uh, in one week, Dan Larimer did uh, two blog articles. He's been talking a, a lot about the Pareto principle. We're going to unpack some of his thoughts. And Rob has some interesting thoughts on his own that, that builds on top of it. So we're not going to get to it unless you smash those like buttons because we got to treat the uh, YouTube algorithm right so that it treats us right. We want to get the views. Uh, we want the EOS community to uh, know what's going on. Um, and uh, speaking of what's going on, we got a lot of DAP news, starting off with Pios, who uh, has been churning along. And you were saying before, I don't know if we were live or not, um, that, that you actually didn't realize the project was this far along in development. Is that right? No. Uh, you, like, you always message me what, what's going on there because I, I don't follow it as it's interesting. It's interesting to me, but I don't follow it like you do. You're, that's like your, your, uh, your baby right now, it seems like. You're, 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 <laughs> You're always the first to know things. And even um, the blog article we're going to get into that I'll share on the screen in a bit, you're like one of the sources on there, like one of the first people to find like the uh, the actual link to the transaction on the, what was it, the Kylan testnet or was it Jungle? Yeah, and in, in, uh, somebody else actually pulled it up in the Telegram first and that's how I found it. I forget who it was, but I believe it was on the Jungle testnet. So POS, this was, I think, last week or maybe the week before, actually published a contract under net POS token on the jungle testnet, that's the name of their account there. And the contract itself is pretty complex. It's three times the size of the Rex contract that exists on the US mainnet, just to give you some insight there. But it looks like based on this transaction that POS has actually sent a ring signature on, um, or sent a transaction using a ring signature on uh, the jungle testnet, which is pretty exciting. And a ring signature is basically just a way of obfuscating data about a transaction. So that could be who's sending it, who's receiving it, the actual amount of tokens that you're sending, all of that is sort of obfuscated and anonymized, which is part of that underlying POS privacy tech. So it's pretty exciting. It seems like from this transaction that it's actually all working on the jungle testnet right now, which is uh, just in time since they said they would do it before today, which is the end of Q2 2019. So that was on the roadmap that they published uh, a few months ago. They When was the, uh, they've just released some code recently too. I think we talked about it last week. Was it uh, more of the wallet code or so something came out last week? Yeah, I mean, they did a wallet preview. The code oh. that came out was actually deploying it to the jungle testnet. So oh. they deployed the actual contract over there, but um, nobody can see that yet. So we don't know what yeah. is actually in that contract code. They're keeping it private at the moment. Um, but what was also cool, something they made very public is that they announced a 50 million POS privacy project fund. And essentially what this is, is they're trying to build this privacy ecosystem on EOS and get people to integrate the POS token or integrate the POS privacy technology into their dApps or projects in some way. And now they're opening up this massive fund, 50 million POS right now is, is close to two, two and a quarter or two and a half million dollars that they're gonna be dishing out to projects who are implementing POS. And a good example of this is somebody like Dmail who can go out and say, hey, right now, all of the contents of a message that you send from one EOS account to the other are totally anonymous. You know, All of that is totally private, but you can still see on chain, for example, that I sent a message to you, Zach. So with POS, what we're thinking about 
is wouldn't it be cool if you could stamp a DML message with a mail token and a POS token, and then enable that entire process, the entire message to be fully anonymous, fully obfuscated, so you can't tell who is messaging each other back and forth. So just so, one of many uh, cool examples that should come out of this project fund. Hey, so, someone just said, hey, Zach, and they're, hey, hey, Rob, hey, Zach, hey, crypto test. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think um, the, the story of, I guess, how they got the privacy fund, like how it came about, it was interesting because um, I don't remember what the date was that you had to claim your tokens, but basically they airdropped, uh, was it one-to-one POS? Yeah, it was one-to-one. So they airdropped one-to-one POS on the EOS mainnet, but then you only had until late April, you had to make a single transaction. You had to just send send a POS token somewhere, even if it was just a little piece of dust, and that basically locked them into your wallet. Uh, but even though it was that easy, there was a lot of people that didn't do that. And it says here in the article that, um, what was it, after the burnt... Uh, would After would the burn, basically, they had they yeah. had way more than they were expecting in terms of the total supply, which is why they're taking 50 million of the team's POS tokens and putting it out to this bounty, which I think is very cool and really shows that uh, you know they, they're incentivized enough already and they just want to grow this ecosystem. So if you're interested in this, if you have a project that you're working on, I know Dallas from Karma was talking about integrating POS in some way, uh, you can email pos.dev at yandex.com. All the details are in that Medium article as well if you just search Medium POS. But uh, we got some other exciting news oh, as well. One, one second. I, I got to go ahead. I, this, this works out to about $2.25 million of POS at, yeah. at today's value. And I, I don't think privacy is a small niche within this marketplace of people wanting to solve problems within privacy. That's actually more than, I'm, I'm not sure what the WP, um, the worker funds like on Talos, they've been really good with funding a couple of projects, WordProof being one of them. Uh, Boast Chain also has a working uh, fund going on. I don't know if any of them are as 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 big as this. Correct me if I'm wrong in the chat. You might be, I, I might be wrong here. But 2.3 million dollars is. It seems like it's more money than any of the other sister chains ha have been planning to deploy on on their own. Um, what, whatever their equivalent of the worker proposal systems are. So I think that's right. actually big news in itself. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a good point. It is a, a pretty significant chunk of money that they're dishing out, and and hopefully will go towards creating that you know, privacy ecosystem on EOS. And it's interesting to see both kind of being built. We have this very public, you know, identity first ecosystem being built through voice and voice ID. And then over here on the other side, we have POS sort of going in the opposite direction and making everything totally private and untraceable. So it's interesting to see both sort of being built and both going to be able to coexist on the same chain on the EOS mainnet, which is pretty exciting as well. I just want to call it Mel, Mr. Anonymous. Mel, if you're watching, leave us a message in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. The, the speculation around him. Uh, so another one of uh, the the projects that we followed on the show for a while, they they released a, a roadmap too. The uh, the dice roadmap. What was the the biggest thing? I'll try to get it on screen here. But what was the biggest takeaways for you that um, has has kind of you excited? Has you ah. kind of excited about what's coming with dice and what's yes, what so it's doing different? Sorry, sorry. I, uh, no, no, you're good. So this is their. Uh, I'm all their, nervous uh, here because I got my whole stack jumping around on three monitors. Uh, so I apologize. Yeah, I'm trying to keep up on the chat. Anyway, what what is Dice doing on the roadmap, which I'll get up on the screen in a second, that not none of the other casinos are doing that makes it stand out to you? And then so I'll the one thing that that I'm most excited about, I think, is their new user onboarding. So we've known from the very very beginning of the Dice project that the Dice team claims to have half a million daily active users on existing mobile apps. And the plan from the very beginning has been, okay, they're gonna build a wallet, which we've seen sort of preview screenshots of. 
They're going to have an easy onboarding system in order to get those people that play their existing games over into the DICE and EOS ecosystems. So that's exciting to me. It says uh, they're going to keep working on the platform in preparation for new user onboarding in Q3 of this year, which is sometime in the next three months. But we got all kinds of other stuff as well. There's localization, adding new languages and currencies. Um, you'll be able to earn interest on the platform in some way. It's unclear how that will work. Uh, more EOS-based third-party games and applications, more benefits for DICE holders who are staking those things, that DICE EOS account benefits, uh, and a lot more. And then going into Q4, they're trying to lower that barrier to entry, focus really on the new users, and hopefully that's when we'll see that wallet being released. It says mobile wallet in Q4 as well. You'll be able to register just using your phone, bring in traditional third-party developers, more deposit methods, and then of course, in Q4 of this year, we'll get the roadmap for next year for 2020. So I think this is good, especially in a time there's a lot of uncertainty around EOS right now, which we're going to dive into very soon. Uh, but uncertainty around EOS projects then comes as well. So I think the more communication that these projects can do to really go out and say, hey, here's what we're working on at the moment. And here's when it's coming out, most importantly, uh, I think is a great thing to just sort of keep that transparency going. So I'm excited to see them deliver on that uh, later this year. That, that, that link confused me, Rob. I couldn't find it in my notes because it's, it's zendesk.com. They don't, they don't post to Medium. I think, was yeah. that one of those censorship things? Didn't Medium like shut down the accounts of like EOS Bet, EOS Dice a while back? Uh, I don't recall if it was them or somebody else, but I believe it was, it might have even been a couple block producers that got shut off of Medium for whatever reason. So there's been some controversy there, which was interesting. But yeah, they use it, they put it post on a Zendesk support forum, which is mm -hmm. pretty interesting. But there was more news also from uh, a big exchange that we have all oh, yeah. been waiting for for a long time. EOS Finex, which is the decentralized EOS exchange from Bitfinex, finally has a launch date. They say the beta testing is complete and that it should launch on July 25th. So less than a month from today, we should finally get EOS Finex out in the wild, this decentralized exchange running on EOS. So this I'm excited about. And I think, you know, for me personally, the biggest benefit that this should bring is more liquidity to EOS staff tokens like DICE and POS and so many others. But what are you excited about for EOS Finex, Zach? The the Bitfinex, whenever they used to allow U.S. citizens to use it, uh, had one of the best UIs of any of the exchanges that that I, I used at the time. So I'm uh, um, I've used EOS Finex. It has the exact same feel as a centralized exchange, but it, it's non-custodial and, and decentralized. And I think that. What we could potentially see with, with this open source EOS Phoenix engine that they built for for EOS is I could see centralized exchanges being able to tap into the liquidity pool on EOS Phoenix, and then EOS Phoenix will will collect a small fee on it. Potentially, uh, they haven't really announced their plans for that, but I think there's it's going to be easy to programmatically tap into this decentralized exchange so that even in a, a a centralized exchange could potentially uh, take advantage of that liquidity. That's what I think Absolutely. is going to happen, but I don't think they've officially said that or anything. I'm just, I, I guess, being hopeful on that because uh, it's something I've wanted to see since back in the Ethereum ICO boom, whenever like ZRX and uh, I think Kyber and a couple others were all launching their decentralized exchanges. And I had this like, in, I envisioned this like shared liquidity pool amongst like uh, centralized and non or in decentralized exchanges. Like what's stopping two decentralized exchanges from sharing liquidity pools if everything can be, like if their smart contracts can interact with each other somehow to, to connect buyers and sellers on all of those pools. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It'll be interesting to, to see the launch and see if it competes with the Binance DEX in some way. 
um, see how the volume is relative to ETHFINEX or FFINEX, which is their uh, Ethereum decentralized exchange, which was big a while ago. I'm not sure how many users and, and volume they have now, um, but it'll be very cool to see that ecosystem grow. And of course, always get to get more liquidity for all these EOS tokens. Well, but, uh, they, they did say they have new features, additional features coming uh, oh, when yeah. they release this. So we'll see. Um, if anyone hasn't checked out the, um, I think it's EOSFINEX.com. I don't have it in front of me. I don't think it's IO. But if anyone wants to check out EOSFINEX, Everyone's going to see what I'm on. Uh, yep, esfinex.com. So anyone that wants to check out esfinex, uh, that's going to be coming out very soon. So it was July 25th. Yeah. And uh, speaking of other releases, we also finally got the stable version. This is no longer a release candidate. This is the official version of EOSIO version 1.8, which we're going to dive into pretty heavily here and talk about how it relates to governance and so many of the other um, sort of concerns that people have about the EOS mainnet that I really want to break down today and talk about potential solutions for. Because I think there's been a lot of people talking about all these problems, but not a whole lot of talk about solutions, at least recently. But with EOSIO 1.8, we finally got it released. You can check out the GitHub, see everything that was there. There are a lot of new features added. The biggest one, of course, is the one that Block One has been waiting for for voice, which is that it will allow dApps to pay for network resources on behalf of their users. So what does that really mean? Essentially, that means if I go out and I want to use voice or I want to use another dApp, I can have an EOS wallet with zero CPU, zero net stake to it, and I can send transactions because the dApp will be paying for my CPU and net for me. So it's, it's just another step in sort of abstracting that complexity away from the user and making the entire user experience a lot more like a traditional centralized app. What would you think of the uh, state history plugin change? So I don't... I haven't really talked to anyone about this, but is it a big deal that the MongoDB plugin got deprecated? Uh, I'm not sure. Honestly, I haven't read a ton into that and what the, the specific change actually was, but I did notice some people, uh, Peter Key especially, uh, are, yeah, are everything. That's what reminded course. me of this whenever I saw yeah. it. I was like, didn't, what was he saying about that? I wasn't sure if he was like laughing about it or if he was upset about it. I, I can't remember what he said. Yeah, I know that he was glad that he hadn't already started uh, doing a course on it or sort of learning it. But uh, it, it's, it's interesting to see how that will all unfold. Maybe we can get him on the next episode and, and have him break that down a little bit. So I'm going to pull up the uh, blog article from EOS New York on the road to 1.8 because there, there's a major consensus protocol upgrade. So basically, I think they outlined it in here, but it's going to be the first EOS hard fork. Uh, do you want to kind of explain what that means to everyone? Because it's really not a scary term. Yeah, so it's important to note that this is not a contentious hard fork where there are two groups of people or multiple groups of people that are disagreeing on the state of the chain and want to take it in totally separate directions. This is what's called a coordinated hard fork, where essentially because there are major consensus changes, there are major changes to the core EOSIO code that's being pushed out in 1.8, all of the BPs have to kind of get together. And even all of the dApps that are running full nodes and things like that have to get together and say, okay, we're going to push it live on this day at this time. They're going to run practice tests ahead of time to make sure that they, they can all coordinate and reach each other effectively. Um, so it's been interesting to see, you know, BP emergency contacts sort of sheets get um, circled around so that everybody can be in communication, even if something like Telegram goes down. But uh, I'm looking forward to this. And according to EOS New York, it looks like we should get this, what, sometime by September is what they think? They they gave a modest estimate. They said um, at, at the bottom of the article, uh, for these reasons, EOS New York conservatively estimates three to six months from now, 1.8 will be deployed. Um, so September is at the earliest. And so beyond... Uh, the being able to delegate resources from adapt to their users, that's probably the biggest feature the general dev community is excited for. 
but the general EOS community as a whole wants to see voice. I, yeah. I think that's what I'm personally waiting for. And um, for anyone who, for or I guess doesn't remember, I don't know how you could forget, but we're waiting on 1.8 for voice. So uh, I think we're. Do you think we're going to get the beta as soon as 1.8's uh, deployed onto the mainnet? Honestly, I'm hoping that we'll get the beta on the test net because just like EOS New York mentions in their article right there, that uh, 1.8 has been successfully deployed on Jungle and Kylan test nets. And of course, you know, there's no real money floating around in those test nets. So it's a much sort of looser process of upgrading where you don't need everybody to come together at the exact same time. So the whole upgrade was much easier, but it is now possible because those networks are running 1.8, it's possible for Block 1 to launch a beta on the test net. Whether they will do that or not sort of remains to be seen, but I think that would be great if voice is ready to go, if the beta is ready and they're just waiting on 1.8, why not go ahead and launch it now on the uh, Jungle or Kylan or even both test nets and sort of let people play around with it, let them get more feedback. Because I think ultimately this is going to be a product just like any social media site that's heavily driven and heavily shaped by user feedback. So the more feedback they can get, the better. Um, I'm hoping that they'll put it on the beta very soon on a test net. And then when 1.8 is on the mainnet later this year, they'll actually launch voice for real. Whether they'll do that or not, well, you know, only time will tell if, if that actually unfolds that way. But uh, that's my personal hope with it all. Did, did you see on the, um, the, the roadmap? So the roadmap kind of went under the radar because it was released as this strategic vision that I pulled up on the screen. Yeah, it's really not. I don't even know that I would call it a roadmap. I think it's more of like a high level goals. Like these are high level things that they, they sort of want to accomplish over the next decade. Uh, but one of the things they mentioned here somewhere is deploying uh, their own test net. I, I can't, I don't, I didn't plan to pull this up, but they, they mentioned uh, deploying their own test net. Do you think they would deploy their own test net just to uh, basically get voice kickstarted? Or do you think they would want to use one of the public test nets like Kylan or Jungle? Yeah, I think it's possible. And I think it could make sense for them to deploy their own just so that they can control the entire user experience. You know, they could already have accounts populated with the right resources for it. Um, they could have a, you know, an easy onboarding flow to just type in an account name and get started with the beta right there. Um, but I, I don't know. My hope is that whether they use a, a public testnet or their own private testnet for voice, that they mm -hmm. do it now on a testnet so that people can start getting out there and giving feedback. And to Mark's point, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot of the content from the beta will be carried over to live, but I don't think that's really a problem at all either. Um, you know, people aren't aren't generally going back months and months and months and finding old old Twitter posts at the moment. And if they know it's a beta, they're still going to be posting elsewhere as well. I it, it it's kind of hard for me. I, whenever we left B1 June, voice was so fresh in my mind because we got to see that demo and we got to to kind of play with it on the screen. But I I, I want to just touch it and feel it because I'm I'm still holding off my opinion on it because I haven't actually gotten to interact with it. So. I'd say out of everything we're going to talk about today, and the governance stuff is very important, but I, I really, 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 I guess, want to get the update on voice and, and get yeah. that beta out because it, it, timing is everything. And I feel like it's already been too long from June 1st. Like whenever we left B1 June, like we were all excited thinking we were going to get to use voice. And then three weeks later, I've already forgotten about it. And I want to, but, but now that we're talking about it again, it's reminding me like, this is something I was really looking forward to three weeks ago. And now it, it's, I guess it feels further away, but uh, talking about 1.8, I guess it's closer than ever. So. Right. Uh, I was just yeah. I mean, I think, 
That's probably one of the reasons why people were a little bit disappointed about B1 June. Obviously, number one was because the the live stream that they put out was a pre-recorded version with nobody in the crowd. It felt very rehearsed. Obviously, they've since taken down that version and put up the live version where we were all in the crowd cheering. Mm -hmm. And you could really feel the energy and the reaction from the community. But I think a lot of people were expecting with an event that was advertised as three hours long that we were going to get more than a 20 or 30 minute presentation. And as part of that presentation, I think it could have benefited a lot if they had gone out and you know, demoed voice on stage, sort of very Apple-esque, where Brendan would be there with an iPhone or Dan would be there with an iPhone, and then the you know the content is mirrored up on the big screen, walking people through maybe the sign-up process or maybe you know making a post and then getting rewarded for it. You know, it is possible that maybe those those things aren't done and they're still sort of figuring out how that's all going to work, and maybe that's why we haven't seen the beta yet. Um, but I do also want to sort of couch the statement with I think a lot of what B1 did was actually very very good, and I don't think there's anything they could have done more to even help the mainnet. You know, them saying they're gonna deploy on mainnet is a huge deal that I don't think a lot of people fully grasp yet and probably won't grasp until it's actually out on the mainnet. So I think Blockwind did a lot of things very, very well, but there are definitely some lessons learned for next year uh, for what they could do differently. I just wanna state, I got some new artwork. Can you, can you see it in my background, Rob? Oh, I like, is that a Lambo in the back on That's the moon? moon Lambo. <laughs> in the flesh, that's actually pretty cool. I like uh, that a lot. Yeah, uh, Mar Marco or not Marco Bernat told me to calm down. I am calm, man. I'm 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 Mr. EOS Permable here. Uh, yeah. I'm super excited about voice. I know it's coming. I, I I trust Block One. I trust Dan. So, and while on the subject of Dan, why don't we get into his recent blog post he's made about decentralizing governance? Because it seems like every week, uh, people are complaining about the BP ratings, talking about what we should do, but no one's being or not no one, there, there's a lot of people being thought leaders on EOS New York being a big one. But that that's kind of, before this show, Rob, we kind of talked about what we wanted to talk about, and Rob has been very adamant about getting these governance issues front and center and in, in front of the EOS community because it's, it's one thing to talk about it and bitch and moan, but we actually want to put things in action and take some of Dan's ideas and kind of walk through how uh, we could actually make it happen. I, I think I probably worded how we're going to do that wrong, but... uh. Yeah, I, I want to start also by, uh, if you can pull up a couple tweets on my Twitter page. I first started out, this was yesterday, and the poll is still ongoing if you want to do this, uh, just at Finchify on Twitter. Um, but I said, if you've owned EOS since the mainnet launch, are you more or less bullish on it now with three options? 52% saying more bullish, 40%, which I thought was pretty high, was a bit shocked to see that say less bullish, and 8% saying they don't own EOS. But then I went on to say, Obviously, I think a lot of the reason why people are less bullish is they have, you know, one of a few different concerns. So I went on to ask, what is your biggest concern with EOS right now? Is it governance with BP cartels, inflation being at 5% instead of 1%? Is it account creation costs that you have to pay instead of getting an account for free like so many other chains? Or is it developer onboarding? And some pretty interesting results so far with the overwhelming majority, 62% saying that their biggest concern was governance. And before we dive into that, I want to just mention the, the pretty simple solutions for the other three items. For inflation, obviously at 5%, it seems like we have general consensus to reduce that to 1%. And even a lot of the BPs um, have even voted on reducing that uh, inflation all the way down to 1%. They were simply waiting on 1.8 to come out as well to give us an easy knob to adjust inflation to boom, adjust it down to 1%. So that I think will be solved uh, this year, it will go from 5% to 1%, relatively non-controversial. When it comes to account creation costs, um, I think there are some interesting things we can do there. And uh, one thing I wanted to mention about 1.8 and sort of how all this ties in before we dive into everything in, in a lot of detail is that 
because we have 1.8 coming out and because it requires a coordinated hard fork, it requires all of the BPs to get together and basically update at the same time and, and sort of make sure this update goes through. You know, we don't have to do that 15 out of 21 vote for it. It's a bunch of BPs all getting together and essentially forking the chain, but all agreeing to fork and move to the new one. I think we have an interesting opportunity here, especially if 1.8 is not going to be out until September to maybe even December. We have a really great opportunity to combine that hard fork for 1.8 with some kind of a major governance or even major chain overhaul, where there are obviously a lot of issues that people are very concerned about that I think could be solved but could be solved much easier if they're solved out of the, the, the current limitations or constraints of the existing chain. And if you think about blockchains, you know, it makes sense to some extent, you launch a chain and then you sort of work within the constraints you've given yourself. But if those constraints you've given yourself prove to be you know, impossible to overcome, because maybe you have a, a cartel in power, or maybe you know, there's no way to increase the RAM supply dramatically to reduce account creation costs significantly to maybe pennies or fractions of a penny, maybe we need a big overhaul and what better time to do a big overhaul that requires a hard fork during this 1.8 hard fork when we already have to do it anyway why not combine it all into the same thing so essentially to summarize before we dive into all these in detail what i'm sort of proposing here is i think we have a really 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 interesting opportunity as a community to come together to agree whether you're in the east or the west and you're part of you know the top 21 bps or not I think we can all agree on maybe overhauls of different components of the system, whether that be governance or permanent inflation reduction or you know, 10xing or 100xing the RAM supply in some kind of crazy way to dramatically reduce account creation costs. I think we have an opportunity to all agree on it now and potentially push it in in the 1.8 update. So that's my thoughts on that. And uh, I want to kind of dive into it. Man, you you have a way of words there, Rob. I, I was getting really into that. I got to get myself back up on the screen here. <laughs> that, that was nice, man. Um, yeah, so I, I think you hit the nail on the head and it's kind of, you're, you're less inclined to vote if you feel like your vote doesn't matter, doesn't count. And that's kind of the issue with the, 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 the cartels, uh, that are kind of happening and that what some people are saying is the centralization of power is that e even if you have a significant amount of EOS, you never want to feel like, like this is, it's worth, like, what am I even voting for? And that's kind of what we're trying to get away from. And Dan's been speaking a lot on this thing called the Pareto principle. Uh, is, is that a term that you were familiar with before he started uh, bringing it up very frequently? Because I was not. Yeah, I've been aware of it since the, basically since we started running as a BP, which basically talks about the distribution in a system like this, where generally, you know, the top X percent are going to get the majority of the votes in a system like this. It's kind of this, um, you know, inverse exponential curve, I guess you could call it. So, I mean, you, you kind of want to walk through uh, the article that Dan wrote, or do you uh, ha have more opinion? You want to go kind of paragraph by paragraph? Because I, I think we really got to unpack this uh, for, for, for some people who haven't had the time to kind of dive in as, as deep as maybe you or I have. Yeah, so let's start with governance. I mean, first off, obviously the inflation one, I think is a relatively easy one to solve. And you could even argue it already has been solved. It's already been agreed on. It's just something that needs to be actually pushed uh, and implemented in the system. But with governance, you know, what if, and these are, these are very much what if statements. This is not something that I'm saying, hey, we definitely need to do this, or hey, this is a concrete proposal. But I've been thinking a lot lately in, in sort of what if questions on what if we did this to the EOS mainnet, or what if we could all agree on this new system? And with governance, what if we really could do a dramatic overhaul to the governance system that benefits not only the whales that, you know, are really motivated by money in the current system, but it also benefits the community and developers with way more uh, decentralization. 
you know, where we don't have this geographic centralization of now, I think it's something like 17 or, or 16 out of the top 21 VPs are located in China or sort of have the same votes um, in the top 21, which is, which is a concern. Obviously, if you look at other systems like Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're pretty much all in China as well. Uh, but but it's something that I think if we can fix in a way by dramatically overhauling governance in some way, that could be good. And some of the, the sort of examples that Dan has put out, I think are really interesting and worth giving a lot of time to. And it took me a while to really unpack a lot of what he was saying. But in this first article, talking about decentralizing in spite of the Pareto principle, he really talks about adding more criteria to be elected as a VP. So right now, the one criteria to be elected as a block producer is really just, hey, how many votes do you have from token holders? But what if you could add other criteria that sort of decentralize that in a way? Uh, because the theory that Dan is putting out is, hey, there's not going to be one cartel or one group of people that can maximize and win on every single one of these criteria. And as a result, you'll end up with a more decentralized system. So he proposed some pretty interesting things. What if you could give RAM vote weight on the uh, EOS mainnet? What if you could do stake time or stake based, uh, time based, how do you, how do I even say this? <laughs> what if you could make it so that the people who are staked the longest have the most voting power so that if you've been staking since mainnet launch, you have more voting power than somebody who just staked yesterday, for example. What if you could reward non-voting users and actually pay people not to vote? So if the whales in the system are ultimately just motivated by profit and not necessarily power in the system, what if you could just pay them not to vote and then have the community, sort of the individual minnows, the smaller holders actually decide on the BPs? Maybe you could have some kind of an electoral college or even incorporate other proof of work blockchains into this system. So there are a lot of different ideas floating around. Obviously, none of them have been you know, really, really uh, sort of drilled into or, or sort of um, expanded on in any great detail. But the overarching concept here is what if we could change governance? What if we could all agree, whales, minnows, everybody included, east, west included, if we could all agree on a governance overhaul to add in more requirements or more criteria by which we rank BPs, wouldn't that be a great thing for decentralization overall? And I think it really would be. It, it would. And it, it was, so the thing, whenever I saw all of these different concepts Dan had, so basically it, it reminded me of something I, I only half seriously talked about a few weeks ago. Remember when I was um, talking like geography and comparing it to like sports with um, whenever you, um, like in sports, you have your divisions, your conferences, and then like the, the top two teams of each conference make the playoffs. Right. Uh, and it kind of, I was thinking ge geographically, like you could have only like three or four BPs per geographic area and each geographic area would be like a, a division or its own conference. This is very similar, but in, in a more, I, I guess, fleshed out way. If you think of it like like having different divisions or different conferences and you can compete in whatever conference you want to, um, and each like like the the leaders of each conference are who produce blocks. So instead of having let's say twenty one like a top twenty one block producers, you would have like maybe a top five in one category, a top five in another category, top five in another category. But um, even after reading uh, all of Dan's thoughts on here, I I don't did did he explicitly say if he thinks block producers should be able to uh, c compete in more than they could they would compete in all of them equally but i i think the um the point he was trying to make is that they have to have you can't be good at all of them so you can't have the most eos and the most ram or else you'd own the entire network for example right you can't have um i, I i'm losing my train of thought here but he was making it so that it's impossible to be really good at all of them and then he had right. that 
follow-up article where, where he kind of gave other examples. He was talking about like the best chess player, the best swimmer, the best runner. Uh, but, but that was more theoretical. I, I feel like that, that really, exactly. And he said it was going to take a while for people to unpack all of that. And I, I'm still currently unpacking it. Yeah. It took me a while to unpack it too. I, you know, I think a lot of people took it literally and were going, why would we have, you know, a, a lot of BPs racing and, you know, running next to each other on a track to, to determine the BP. But really what he was trying to illustrate is, Hey, get creative with the, you know, mechanisms, with the metrics that we use to measure BP success. And somebody has a good point in the chat. Um, how do you get 17 Chinese BPs to vote in a way they might not like though? And I think the, the clue here or the key here rather is that it would have to be a way that we all agree on that really does benefit everybody so that those 17 Chinese BPs also like the system. Maybe it's something where we're paying them not to vote, uh, sort of like Dan has suggested. Maybe it's something else entirely, but it would definitely have to be something that the entire network agreed on before we could implement it in that 1.8 hard fork. I just see it as a really unique opportunity where you know, we don't know when the next time we're going to be doing a coordinated hard fork is after it, uh, 1.8. So why not try to get some kind of a major governance change, maybe a major RAM change, whatever it might be, try to get that uh, sort of embedded in the same update and do it all in one fell swoop with this hard fork. Um, I'm trying to find this article I saw recently, but I can't find it. So I, I just kind of want to go back to, I, I we ran through these different ideas Dan had, and then I kind of want to ask in the live chat if people could kind of, I, I think we could spitball. I, I think this is what Dan was doing in Telegram recently because he was just spitballing stuff and asking people like what two-player games there were. Did you see him doing that when he was asking like what two-player games there were that can't be like done algorithmically or something? Yeah, I think he was looking for examples to include in the article because he mentioned most of them in there, like playing StarCraft against each other, chess, Go, all these different games that you could play. But the So anyway, the RAM voting weight in particular makes a lot of sense to me because in EOS, uh, on the main net at least... Um, if you hold RAM, that means if you're holding it, you could be speculating, but the biggest RAM holder of all of the accounts is actually block one, and it's because they plan to use RAM. Mo most people holding RAM right now are, are not necessarily speculating. They're actually using the network. And if you're using the network, then you should have some sort of say in how the network is run. So when, when talking about developers, let's say the majority of their budget was in RAM, which I'm not saying it is, but then that's less capital that they have for EOS tokens that they could stake and then use for their resources. Uh, and then also, uh, th this is a more clear point here, is something like the Rex. Um, I, oh, man. I think my blood sugar might be low, guys. I just want to uh, state here on the uh, episode that I am type 1 diabetic, and sometimes my blood sugar uh, runs you, low. Uh, and when it does... You die on the episode. No, really I'm not, not going to die. I just want to state like why I'm like kind of losing my trains of thought here. I have, I probably do have, I don't have my meter on me, but I have a low blood sugar. So no emergency guys, but um, I apologize for my uh, train of thought here. Um, but what it was, was that the people using the network were not uh, benefiting the same as the people who weren't using the network. So I, I think Rex was the example is if you're actually using your tokens for bandwidth because you're running a DAP, then you're not able to use Rex and kind of collect interest on it. So over a long period of time, you're going to have a, a smaller piece of the pie than the people who weren't using their tokens but were just staking to Rex and slowly growing their stack, maybe like 1% per year, maybe. Absolutely. And somebody has a, a good example also. What about the vote must be you know, a certain amount per continent? You could have four in Asia, three in Oceania, four in Africa, four in Europe, three in North America, three in South America. And in each continent, each BP has to sort of try to be in one of those spots. 
that then ultimately forms the top 21. And I think that is a great example of one of many changes that we could potentially make in this 1.8 hard fork uh, to sort of overhaul governance in a way that benefits everybody, that everybody is uh, more excited about. Even like we were talking about last week, even if the, the existing Chinese BPs just move their infrastructure to other countries around the world, I think that would do a lot for decentralization. And Evan gave you $5. Thank you, Evan. <laughs> Here's $5 for Zach to buy a Snickers because he's not himself when his sugar is low. <laughs> it's true. I'm not That's sharp at all. I, I literally feel like I'm, I, I feel fine. It's just I lose my train of thought. And I, that's why I was drinking this Arnold Palmer. Usually I'm drinking my diet uh, energy drinks. But this thing, it barely has any carbs in it. I thought it was full of sugar, and it's like the, the diet. It's not diet, it's light. Sorry, That's guys. Funny. Phoenix and is going to hook you up with some goji berries. He says. <laughs> you got you got to carry this one, Rob. I, I really don't want to make myself look any uh, less sharp than I already have today. Yeah, I mean, overall, that's the general concept here that I'm kind of proposing is that what if we could make major changes to the system, not just the changes that are already in 1.8 and agreed on, but what if we could make other major changes to improve the overall ecosystem that everybody could agree on that would also do or solve pretty dramatic problems? I think if you look at account creation costs, it's something that hasn't been talked about for a while, but right now it's roughly $2.50. I think it's 0.39 EOS to make an account as of this moment right now. And that to me seems like a system that probably cannot scale in the long term especially if voice onboards 100 million users. Because you can imagine at $2.50 right now, if, if that stayed static for those 100 million new accounts, I think that might actually be doable by Block One that has this multi-billion dollar war chest. But the problem with the RAM system is that over time, as more and more of that RAM is bought up, the price goes up on, uh, I think, what is, is basically an exponential curve with the Bancor algorithm. So it, it may at a certain point be $25, $35, $45 to create an account which I think is probably not scalable, especially when you look at other smart contract programming ecosystems that have free accounts. And obviously that has performance, um, you know, trade-offs where you, you have free accounts versus non-free accounts. There, there are all kinds of things that go into it that are, are some, some are sort of outside of my grasp on the technical side. But I think this is an interesting opportunity overall, whether it's a governance change that we implement, whether it's an inflation change that we implement, or even whether it's just 10Xing the RAM supply to reduce that cost of creating an account from 250 all the way down to 25 cents. Some major changes like that, I really think we have the opportunity to come together as a community and discuss over the next couple months and potentially agree upon to include in that 1.8 update as well. So that's sort of the overarching proposal is that we have this unique opportunity to make dramatic changes to the system that would only be possible in a hard fork situation like this. So I think in a previous episode we meant it was shortly after uh, B1 June whenever it was announced that uh, there would be a KYC involved to pr produce uh, proof of a unique identity, and I think we kind of hypothesized that what what if there were two like ways of voting like one was stake weighted based on uh, tokens as it currently is, and then the other one was on the like one person one vote weight and the how how you could have different weights like they, I don't think that they should be fifty fifty because I think stake weighted vote is important because you own the most of the network you should have more of a say but do you, do you remember talking about that and do you think uh unique id play I, I don't think dan mentioned unique id at all in any of his solutions here but i i think that's something that was that wasn't just us talking about that a few weeks ago how uh with with unique identity you could do some unique things uh to create a different type of voting 
uh, within the US mainnet. It was like a two party, we could do a two party system type thing. Yeah, you can imagine it as a hybrid system where, you know, it accounts for the people who have the most money, the people with the most tokens, but it also accounts for the unique individuals that have maybe signed up for voice. And a lot of people have been talking, hey, maybe block one will allow voice users to sort of direct where they vote. They are now 96 million uh, EOS that they have in their account. And uh, Adam has a good point in the chat. He says, don't forget liquid apps, VRAM. No one seems to be using it. I know there are a couple projects that are utilizing it now, and I think a lot more behind the scenes. But of course, something like Liquid Apps with VRAM and V accounts really does solve a lot of those problems. But it would be even better if we could reduce the cost even more on the mainnet for the people that don't necessarily want to use those solutions. I I, I kind of disagree with him. I, uh, I I know of a lot of projects that are working <laughs> uh, planning to implement VRAM if they haven't already. You got that um, behind the scenes look. Yeah. Uh, so so just hold hold tight. And if anyone missed it, I'm I'm gonna pull it up. We just uh, we made a release today, but I didn't have a chance to read the blog yet. But uh, we we released a um, a case study on Karma's RAM costs. And oh yeah, this was incredible. Yeah, let me let me let me pull this. This up. is the the first instance where Liquid Apps has actually come out and said, "Hey, here's the amount of money that they were paying weekly to run their DAP." Now, by the way, we've now made that cost something like 100x lower than it was before. So to actually see the dollar figures of the money that Karma was saving by using the DAP network for you know data storage and um, I think it was just data storage, not even accounts in this case, but they're, they're saving an insane amount of money. It's pretty cool. Yeah, they went from uh, one one point four megabytes per week of mainnet RAM required to I don't see it here. I think it was like four kilobytes that it went down to. But wow. the, the uh, Karma had nothing to do with this. It was all kind of research done by by the Liquid Apps team. Some some scripts were run, and it was just kind of monitoring their usage and then coming up with how VRAM could solve their problems uh, and. We're, we're, we're looking to do more case studies like this. So a after this came out, well, I, I, I don't want to say too much, but it got a lot of people's attention. Let's just say that of people uh, who are interested in saving money and RAM costs and, and all of that. And you, you mentioned earlier, Rob, about account creation. Uh, there, there's some other stuff. We've talked about liquid accounts or they used to, we used to call them V accounts. Those uh, are going to be coming out of kind of like a beta phase very soon too. And we're, we're oh, hoping nice. to show some implementations, but there's a lot of stuff coming out of liquid apps. I, I try not to, to like shill it to everyone. So I don't seem like a shill, but I'm not, it, it is the, it's going to change how DAP development is done on, I, I, I believe in my personal opinion that it is going to change DAP development. There is no solution to, that could do some of the things that, uh, people are able to do with DAP network and, I'm almost quoting Ramon from Investing with a Difference and Blockstart, who is doing the, the development, and this is all public, of the Moonlighting Project, which is onboarding 700,000 users into the EOCIO ecosystem. Wow. And they, they've been pretty public about the fact that uh, Ramon said, I don't have it in front of me, but he said in the Liquid Apps channel that there is no other solution other than Liquid Apps that is able to solve some of their problems they're facing with Moonlighting. Um, I'll, That's I'll, awesome. I'll pull it up if I could uh, ha have a second of Rob covering for me. But Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that the most striking thing in the, the Karma article was just that they said it, it went from something like $800, $870 in RAM per week that they were spending to less than a dollar. And that to me was like, wow, this is a no-brainer. Clearly solves some significant issues. And you can imagine if Karma had you know, 10 or 100 times as many users, it would get to a point if they didn't use VRAM where it was really unsustainable from a cost perspective. So very cool to see uh, a solution like that actually implemented and working now. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm, I just wanna, I, I'm not even on the screen here. I just wanna kind of say I wasn't 
I felt like I was kind of upset there. I wasn't upset. I was just, I'm just really passionate about liquid apps, man. I, I'm really passionate about EOS. I'm really passionate about when I'm passionate about something. I uh, kind of get the blood excited. sugar. It is. Blame it on it the really blood is. sugar. I'm like trying to cover for it. I haven't had a chance to run upstairs and get food. Um, where are we at here? Uh, this is yeah, I mean, a wild one. I, this is definitely my uh, most awkward episode I've ever done. I believe. I, I think I broke my record for most awkward. Uh, no, you're good. I think. <laughs> That's the overarching concept of governance. I think we can kind of move past that. Um, I think what I'd like to do is start a conversation in the community on what some of these things could be. I'm going to be talking to BPs in the East as well to see maybe what changes they would like implemented, just because I think with so many months to go until 1.8 actually gets pushed out, it is such a good opportunity to implement other major changes in the system as well that solve some of these critical issues. But if we continue, um, you know, speaking to developers, speaking to people building on EOSIO, oh, it looks like Block One is taking an sort of heightened interest in what developers are using to develop apps or dApps right now. So Block One has actually put out a developer sur survey uh, that developers can take. They've been sending it out to different people. The members of the Cypherglass tech team got it, and we're taking that survey. Um, and it, it really asks a couple simple questions. Um, I'll actually pull it up here just so I can read off the question. So they want to know, how do you obtain the EOSIO software? Do you get it from GitHub? Do you use a package manager uh, like Brew? Um, do you download the source code and then compile it yourself? Do you use any third-party Node.OS plugins? And have you used the state history plugin, which I thought was interesting, um, considering the changes there in 1.8 as well. Um, but I, it, it, it it's always, screen. that's great. It's always good to uh, have have Block One really sort of engage the developer community more. I know they were doing this at the San Francisco Hackathon that I was a part of, of sort of sitting people down, asking them. You know, a lot of it was actually centered around mobile wallets at the time, which I thought was pretty interesting. But uh, now they're coming back out and doing another survey, which will hopefully guide the overall Block One developer relationships program. This had me excited. I don't know if you have my screen up on your screen, Rob, but the EOSIO webinars. That, yeah. That's something that uh, I heard some whispers of at B1 June, and I, I, I was waiting for it, and I didn't expect it to come out so soon. So on July 10th at 8 a.m. till 10 a.m. Uh, Hong Kong time, uh, Block One is hosting an intro to EOSIO blockchain development by Block One. So this is going to be an awesome onboarding tool. Uh, Everyone's working on the same team here. I mean, us uh, with the Everything EOS developer courses, our goal was specifically to onboard new developers. We wanted to be that link you sent people to if someone said, hey, I want to learn EOSIO, where do I start? We wanted to be that link that people would get. And now it seems like block one, I don't think this is going to be the only webinar that they do. So this might be an ongoing thing. So someone new into the ecosystem, they, they could look forward to these. So anyone... Um, who you who you know who may have asked you about getting started recently, I would definitely let them know about the webinar. I, I think webinars are going to be a, a bigger thing, not with just block one, but I, I, I want to start doing them with liquid apps. Um, I'm trying to kind of figure out how, how to go about doing that because nice. I, I think it's just a great experience to get people all, all in a, a conference call basically where everyone can kind of interact and help each other. And object computing, this is what I was trying to think of. Object computing just did one recently. Uh, they did a lot of core development work on EOS IO as contractors, as like third-party contractors. Uh, but Phil, do, do you know his last name? Mesnier? Phil? Yeah, Phil Mesnier. Yeah, he... Um, he held a seminar re uh, last week, but I, I was away at the uh, beach, so I didn't get a chance to watch it. Did you happen to hear any feedback on that or anyone in the chat? How about that? Did anyone sit in for that uh, webinar with Phil? No, I didn't sit in either, but 
Interesting comment also from Daniel uh, Neville's in the chat says, can we set up scheduled governance discussions? I think it's a great idea and uh, it's something that I'll definitely look into more. Maybe we could have a scheduled discussion between East and West and bring in a bunch of BPs to really talk about this in detail. Um, I think that might be the only way to really move some of this forward. And then EOS Phoenix saying he likes a sandbox concept where, you know, people, you quantify a concept and show how it would play out before it actually gets implemented, which I think is very cool too. You could potentially utilize some of the test nets for that as well. My a couple people saying, what's that? My wife just brought me a Kit Kat. Come on, camera. Oh, nice. <laughs> Come on. Saving you. What's the, uh, the slogan there? Give me a break. Give me a break. This is my wife, Emily. She just saved my life with a Kit Kat bar and an iced tea. <laughs> All right. Anyway. <laughs> it's a little I'm, wave. I'm, I'm just having fun here, guys. Sorry. There, while you uh, finish that Kit Kat, I think a lot of people think it's a Snickers, but he's got the give me a break, not the hangry Kit Kat, whatever it is. Um, we have uh, some pretty exciting news as well. And we want to issue a congratulations to the team over at Defuse, which sort of originated at EOS Canada, but Defuse.io. We use it at EOS name service. We use it at Dmail. So many dApps are utilizing it now to quickly query and search the EOS blockchain uh, and even do stuff in real time. But they announced recently that they just raised $3.5 million in a seed funding round uh, led by Multicoin Capital and, which is very cool to see, Intel Capital. So Intel has a capital VC arm where they invest in new uh, technology. Blockchain tech is something that they've been looking at recently and have actually invested in Defuse as well. So a huge congrats to the entire Defuse team. Uh, keep keep going out there and smash it and make an awesome tech. It's uh, it's really made what we do at EOS Name Service possible. Um, so you guys deserve it. That's uh, awesome. And I'm sure we'll see more from them in the near future. What did you think of Multicoin? I haven't heard that in a while. Uh, Miles Snyder's not with them anymore. He hasn't been for a while. Um, yeah. And he said he's, I forget what I saw. So he just said he's just friends with them still, but he wasn't associated with them. So like they, ever since he left Multicoin, they haven't like published any blogs about EOS. It kind of fell silent. So it was really cool to see that Multicoin hasn't forgotten about this EOS ecosystem and they, they uh, led the investment round. So I thought that was pretty cool. So shout out to Kyle Samani and Multicoin Capital and the whole bunch there. Absolutely. I think uh, that might be all we have to discuss today. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to, to squeeze in here as we get to this hour mark of the show? Um, if anyone missed any developers, especially if you missed uh, the EOS Studio web release uh, from EOS Studio, that's that's really big. If you want to uh, get into using a web IDE, uh, Peter K demonstrated it uh, on a video we released earlier this week. You can find that on our channel. But uh, I just wanted to shout EOS Studio out. That's a it's a really cool tool. I had some uh, chance to play with it a little bit yesterday. That's awesome. And uh, I noticed Chris from Effect AI has already put numbers in the chat. There won't be a Blankos giveaway today, but we will do one on the next stream as well. I still have some that I have to send out, so I'm already backlogged well, there. <laughs> Chris is always here watching us. I think uh, Effect AI just released something the other day. They they had a video. What was it? Let's give them a shout out. Do you remember what it was? Chris, remind us in the chat. I don't. We'll see what he says in a couple seconds once the uh, delay goes through. But uh, ultimately, I mean, if you think about the current state of EOS right now, I think if you look back to when the mainnet launched before this whole thing got stood up, we all had such incredibly high expectations. And Brennan has even mentioned that uh, before where, you know, it, it's almost impossible to deliver on the expectations of the EOS community because they want things now, they want things quickly. But if you really sit back and you look at how much we've accomplished, the, the issues that we've overcome with, you know, CPU congestion issues on the mainnet, even increasing the RAM price gradually or not the RAM price, the RAM supply gradually over time. There really is a lot that we've accomplished over the last year. 
that I don't think we should let the current issues of governance and, and you know, reducing inflation from 5% to 1% cloud our view of all of the amazing things that the community has accomplished. Ultimately, these things are gonna take time to work out, just like the previous issues took time to work out, but I am really confident that we can all come together as a community and make this network work for the better so that it is decentralized, but all of the parties involved are still getting what they want out of the system. And uh, if you didn't see that message from Brennan today in Telegram, clearly shows that they're still confident about the mainnet as well, where somebody said something along the lines of, hey, Brendan, what if you guys went out and you got the top 100 A-list celebrities or the thousand most followed people on social media in the world and paid them to exclusively use voice? And he responded with a winky face. So it's clear that that influencer sort of marketing strategy is gonna be a big part of their onboarding strategy for voice. And voice alone may be something that you know brings 100 million users to the mainnet, whether they use liquid accounts or actual, you know, RAM-based accounts on the mainnet remains to be seen, but uh, it, it's clear that B1 is still back in the mainnet and launching voice there as well. So a lot of good things coming. There are some issues we're gonna have to work out and there are always gonna be issues that we have to work out, but I'm confident based on what we've overcome in the past that we can overcome this as well. So I'm excited about it. All right, since, since Chris ma made me, uh, I don't know what he said that made me think of this, but the sneak, <coughs> the sneak peek for the uh, Effect Force demo uh, the UI UX looks oh, awesome nice. here. And it says on July 10th, the very first decentralized mechanical Turk platform, Effect Force, goes live on EOS. So shout out to Effect Force. This has been a project I obviously must have missed that date on because we would have had it in our notes. Uh, but I can't wait to see what Effect Force does. Uh, they keep onboarding more partners. Every time uh, I see a new blog article, it's like they're partnering with a another major entity who has like name recognition outside of cryptocurrency. So I'm excited to see uh, wh what they're doing for their microtasking. I think um, they're just doing a lot of cool stuff. I want to see what they're doing with Karma. With, with I, I think that's an episode in itself. So Chris, if you ever uh, want to stop in sometime on the Everything Yes podcast, I think... Uh, timing that up with uh, this July 10th release might make a lot of sense. Absolutely. And Chris says he wants to give away some uh, EFX tokens then as well. So maybe we can do that on that episode too and sort of include it all in one. But uh, I think that's probably it for today. Zach, you want to close us out with this outro here? Ooh, yeah, this is this was a tough one for me, guys. Thanks for uh, sticking with me. But uh, until next time, which will hopefully be very soon, I'm Zach Go. I'm Rob Finch. And, and this, this is Everything, is everything EOS. Go, go Eos! Smash the like button, leave a go use in the chat. We'll see you next time.